Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Would you consider yourself a feminist? A recovering feminist? If so, I would love to hear from you. I'm going to talk about how to recover from feminism later today. And if that ruffles your feathers a bit, great. I hope you'll stay with me and we can talk about how to recover from feminism because I think everyone has a different definition of feminism, but there's also an assumption as to what people believe feminism is. So stay with me. We will dive into that. And also, as we're coming up on Halloween, maybe you made some jack-o'-lanterns. I recently, when I was doing research on Halloween, wanting to learn more, understand the good and the bad, the ugly. One of the topics I heard people say is, I would never carve a jack-o'-lantern, and I don't allow my kids to carve jack-o'-lanterns. I thought, hmm, why? Well, I'm actually very intrigued by this. It's an awesome legend, well, spooky legend, and I think there's a lesson to be learned from it depending on how we talk about the legend of the jack-o'-lantern. So stay with me, and if you can't stay with me, we'll be sure to post this in the podcast later. So head over to relevantradio.com, find the trending page, or wherever you listen to trending on podcasts, be sure to subscribe. So here's the deal. We'll talk about jack-o'-lanterns, jack-o'-lanterns a little bit later on as we're coming up on Halloween. But first, there is a widespread attempt to erase everything that is male and especially everything that's female. Do you notice that the emphasis more so is erasing what is female than on erasing what is male? The whole third wave feminist movement was all about women becoming like men, women having the same rights as men, to the point where third wave feminism really is all about sameness, claiming that there's no difference between men and women. Now, jokingly about, oh goodness, seven, eight years ago, I remember talking about on the radio how there started to become a little bit of a joking trend that you can no longer say that you're dating a sugar daddy or married to a sugar daddy, that the politically correct words to use are glucose guardian because politically correct, gender neutral, you say glucose guardian, that way you're not being sexist when you talk about the sugar daddy. Then people started talking about chest feeding instead of breastfeeding. Chest feeding instead of breastfeeding. My jaw dropped on this one, literally, because th- there's no such thing as a man nursing. And I have heard and seen all about those things where men want to know what it's like to nurse and have that bond with the baby. And there are contraptions made where milk can be pumped through this machine that's attached to a man so he can gaze into the baby's eyes. Okay, Okay, enough. This is, this, is, this is just crazy to me. But this insanity, this culture war that's happening right now over what it means to be a woman, because it's not an attack on men. Men have already been brutally attacked by feminism itself. Right now, the attempts in the mainstream media is to erase 
womanhood. I joked last year when I was super pregnant at Halloween that I was a pregnant woman because apparently that's anomaly now because you're supposed to say pregnant person. But here's here's the latest thing. Michigan, the Michigan Senate, the Michigan Senate, both Republican and Democrats voted to remove women from an updated breastfeeding and public law. So there are laws that have had to go into the books over the years that help to protect women from being discriminated against if they want to breastfeed in public. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about free the nipple campaigns. I'm not about that. I think if you're nursing in public, you need to cover yourself. And I know even, unfortunately, in the Catholic mom world, this ruffles some feathers because people say, what? It's natural. Yes, even if it's natural, let's just be modest. It's a virtue. So I am waiting for the emails of people who come at me. And let me just say, I have tons of friends who I know, love, and respect who whip it out in public, and I completely disagree with them. Still love them, but this is one of those areas where we can disagree. We shouldn't disagree, though, because it's about modesty. And here's the deal. I'm all about nursing, and I, I don't know if this is like just a weird conversation. I get it. Some people feel a little uncomfortable nursing, specifically men, if you're in the room, but I find that that's kind of changed. We have tons of friends, friends of all ages, mentors, family members who are in and out of our house who we're visiting with. We have a lot of friends who are priests who, when we've had both of our children now, have come to visit, and unless I'm sitting in a room perpetually nursing a child, I couldn't visit. So being modestly covered and properly covered, nursing and having conversations with people who we know and love, I haven't really had anyone be awkward as long as you're respectfully covering yourself and not being awkward about it. So this this whole idea that unfortunately there had to be laws that protect women because some people find it impolite for polite society to nurse in public, I I think that's silly. I think that goes too far as long as you are modestly covering yourself. But the Michigan Senate actually voted in the updated law for protecting women breastfeeding in public that in the updated law, although some of it was all about protecting women breastfeeding in public, which, by the way, I do prefer to say nursing over breastfeeding. But for the sake of this conversation, I will probably say both. But some people, I don't want to be confused if I'm saying nursing. So here's the deal. They voted in this to remove the word women and to remove the word she in this updated law. Why? Why on earth would this be done? Because it's it's an agenda to erase women. And this may seem, okay, you may say you can never erase women. This is dramatic. Well, why would you need to do it in the first place? In fact, a person who was in favor of and asking for a yes vote on this law because they wanted to protect women nursing in public said, I can't believe I'm even having a conversation about the fact that some of the language in this law, in order to push it forward, has language that is erasing women and the word she from the law, but for that sake, not for that sake, but for the sake of women nursing in public and being protected, I'm pushing for this law and asking for a yes vote. Here's the deal. Let's be clear. In case anyone's confused, only biological females can lactate. That's nurse, even pumping. Okay, we'll be clear here. It's an insane next step in the culture war that Seven, eight years ago, I was joking about gender-neutral terms where people would say, oh, you can't say breastfeed, you need to say chest feed. Or I was joking seven, eight years ago about people saying, you have to say glucose guardian 
not sugar daddy because we need to be gender neutral, not be sexist. I'm raising my hand. I am sexist. Absolutely 100% because there are differences between men and women. And if you don't acknowledge that, well, there's a whole lot more that needs to be addressed if you don't realize that there's a difference between men and women. And there should be laws and policies that read the words men and women and specific laws and policies that specifically protect men and specifically protect women. And even more specifically, specifically protect little women who are girls and minors so that boys aren't coming into their changing rooms, sports teams, and field trips. But no, our culture war gender-neutral battles are actually yet again impacting children. And this whole breastfeeding in public thing impacts children yet again as well. And I'll get to that. This is why. And you're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. If you are just joining me, I was joined a couple months ago by a young woman who's about 18, 19 years old. Her name's Chloe Cole. She shared that as a minor, 12, 13 years old, she started to struggle with the use of technology, social media, and a body that was developing very early for a young girl in comparison to her classmates, started struggling with being comfortable in her own skin and her body. So when she told her parents, parents didn't know what to do, they started talking to psychologists, they started talking to physicians, and without any further knowledge of the context of what Chloe was going through, she's immediately in the first visit to a therapist, given a referral for cross-sex hormones, and very quickly ends up at Kaiser Permanente going through with a double mastectomy. Now, in her teen years, as she is approaching junior high and high school in the midst of the lockdown, she's in an online child development class in high school. And she starts learning about nursing, about nursing a baby, how good it is for baby, how good it is for bonding mother and child. Guess what happens? She's moved. She's moved to tears because she's here identifying as the little boy when she's actually a female and physicians, therapists, and her parents who didn't know what else to do ushered her into this male identity. Her voice sounds completely different, and she ends up, after going through this childhood development class, learning about the impact of nursing, breastfeeding a baby, the good that it does for a baby, the good that it does for mom. She ends up detransitioning. She's known as one of the many young men and women who identify as, quote, detransitioners, people who identified as transgender and changed their minds and their bodies have been radically damaged. In fact, by the way, she's suing Kaiser Permanente along with three other women who have also been radically damaged, mutilated by Kaiser and other adults who have let these minors down. She will never, and she shares this in her testimony, which we're going to link to in the episode notes as well as on social media, to where Chloe Cole shared here on Trending about how she will never be able to nurse a baby. Yet that's what was the catalyst, the inspiration that actually she's interested in being a mom. She would be interested in carrying a baby in her arms and and nursing a baby, but she will never be able to nurse because of that double mastectomy. She doesn't even know if she'll be able to have children. She was given puberty blockers during puberty as a minor in her early teen years and cross-sex hormones. She does not fully know the long-term impact. You can hear it in her voice when she speaks. Her voice is damaged from all the things that the so-called medical community did to her. And so what is this law that the Michigan Senate has 
both Republican and Democrats voting to remove the word women from breastfeeding and public laws and to remove the word she. These are stupid laws that erase women and damage women's futures because, number two, it tells a lie about our bodies. It's lying that anyone can nurse, and it encourages this transgender ag- agenda that mutilates, literally mutilates the bodies of women, little girls like Chloe Cole and others. I mean, thank God this young woman who's only about 19 years old has had the courage to speak up about the harm she's done. With all due respect, she has every right to live a private life working on healing from the wounds of what the medical community, the psychological community, and other adults have done to her. But no, she's telling the truth because no one else is. She is likely infertile for the rest of her life. She will never be able to nurse a baby because of the double mastectomy that physicians put her through. Instead of getting her real help for what she was struggling with that influenced her disorientation with regard to her own biological sexuality. This law in Michigan, where the Senate is voting to remove women from breastfeeding and public laws, the word women and she from the law, also hurts babies as well. Because when you think about it, it's encouraging girls to say, you know what, do whatever you want with your bodies. Render them sterile. Go through with hysterectomies. Did you know that nursing is extremely good for babies? It helps with your immune system and long-term health and longevity. And so when we throw out this basic understanding that nursing is good for babies, that nursing is good for mom, that you need all your body parts in order to do so, and that some hack shouldn't be hacking up kids or even young adults' bodies. This is a big deal. And we talked both on Friday and on Monday about hysterectomies because women are literally going through, I'm sorry, on Tuesday, women are literally going through with hysterectomies today, with sterilization, with tubal ligation, men choosing to have vasectomies when they can't even fathom having children because they don't have someone that they're dating or married to who they could imagine having children with. Same with this whole gender issue. Doctors are allowing children or young people, young adults, to hack their bodies, damaging the potency, the ability to be able to nurture your own child, to be able to conceive your own child, to be able to carry to term your own child. So it's insane to me that there's bipartisan legislation favoring this trans agenda to erase women. This hurts women. It scares people when we continue to pass laws or promote social norms that erase the importance of Sure, what is sexist because men and women are different. People are caving to this agenda. And that's why we have to tell the truth about the body. We have to tell the stories of people such as Chloe Cole, who I'm sharing a link to her testimony that she gave here on Trending on social media as well as the episode notes. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, or subscribe to the podcast and listen there. By the way, the Relevant Radio app is a great place to catch all of our podcasts and to text a link to these episodes to a friend. Tell them to listen to this. But the bottom line is we need to protect women and children. And we have, when we have ambiguous laws that lie about the truth of the body, this influences the medical choices young men and young women make with regard to transitioning that will damage their ability to conceive, carry to term, and nourish children in the healthiest way possible as God designed. 
God didn't get it wrong. So why is the government? Why are we who have compassion when people identify as transgender? We should. We actually talked a lot about this over the last couple of weeks. I'm actually going to link to an episode, what to do if you identify as transgender or what to do if someone you know identifies as transgender because we need to have a compassionate, loving, respectful approach. But that doesn't mean that we approve of what is being done to transition people because we're talking about individual persons created in God's image and likeness, either male and female. You're listening to Trending with Tamara. All of this comes back to modern day ideologies with regard to feminism. That's why I want to come back talking about whether or not you are recovering from feminism. Are you recovering from feminism? Why don't you call yourself a feminist? We will dive into this topic and I will talk to you about how to recover from feminism because I think all of us, myself included, have a little too much of a feminist rub in terms of how we think and how we function day to day and we need to get rid of it. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Are you a recovering feminist? Do you call yourself a feminist? Why or why not? I'd love to hear from you. Our toll-free line is 888-914-9149, and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. I'm going to tell you how to recover from feminism because I think we all, myself included, need to do some recouping from how feminism has impacted us and continues to impact our thoughts and our functions, how we interact with people. But first, Pope Francis has called for us to pray, fast, and do penance for our brothers and sisters in the Middle East tomorrow, October 27th, as the Israel-Hamas war intensifies. In just two and a half weeks, over one million have been displaced and over 5,000 people have lost their lives. Please join Relevant Radio brothers and sisters worldwide in praying for peace in the Middle East during Mass at noon central, the Divine Mercy Chapel at 3, and the Family Rosary across America at 7 p.m. central on Relevant Radio. Our Lady, Queen of Peace, pray for us. Are you a feminist? If so, why? And if you refuse to call yourself a feminist, let me know why. I'd love to hear from you. 888-914-9149. How to recover from feminism is a conversation every single one of us needs to work on. I was recently reading a article from Dr. Carrie Gress, who is huge on confronting feminism. She actually has a new book out. It's actually sitting here on my desk because I need to start reading it. It's called The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. That is destroyed us as women. It's true. And her work is great. She also has a couple of excellent books called Theology of Home and Theology Home 2. I love all of her writing, so I'm excited to read this one. I'm recommending this new book without even having read it yet. It's sitting on my desk. But another book that's excellent that she wrote a few years ago is The Anti-Mary Exposed. And it talks about toxic feminism. So I've spent a lot of time in both academia and sort of the pop culture area on the topic of feminism. And I've had a lot of debates with people over whether or not we should call ourselves feminists. I'd love to hear from you. Maybe you have a take on it. More so, if you're a recovering feminist, why? What changed your mind? 
Betty Friedan is known as one of the champions of the radical pro-abortion feminist movement. She emphasized significantly the idea that it was toxic for us as women to be home and that the freedom that we also deeply desired was found through work, career, education, that that's what made us free. And so as I ponder these realities of how today it's true from young teenagers to young adults to adults people think that true liberation is work but isn't it interesting that it's sort of flipping on its back because i see the work ethic of some of the younger millennials and gen z they hate work and it's not just girls it's girls and boys alike because they are so burnt out from an education system that grills them moment after moment after moment in terms of how they will function to constantly be producers rather than allow them to be human beings created in God's image and likeness who are delighted in by their very existence as God's creation. We tend as human beings today to think that our anthropology is to be energizer bunnies perpetually producing and doing something. And as we see, the paradox is, is that we are imploding as seen in our mental health crisis. If you don't think there's a mental health crisis impacted by the way we think we are as men and women and the way we're functioning, again, this is a topic that I really challenge you to consider how femininity and masculinity, how feminism and what it means to be a man has impacted and transformed the way boys and girls get to function from the moment they're in school with awful zero tolerance policies to the fact that girls from the age of 13 are being told and are actually on hormonal birth control. That in the prime years of finding a mate, settling down, getting married, and having babies, why is it that people are told, go, 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 go to school, get the higher education, and then be miserable trying to pay off your student loan debt as you can't even get a job in the career you want? And if you do, hello, it's not enough money. This is what feminism has produced. And people such as Betty Friedan, who have pushed this idea that we are dying and miserable and awful and enslaved if we're at home and that true freedom true happiness is gained through work and education and how sophisticated that lifestyle is we i believe truly have to work on reprogramming our brains i recently heard someone say that it was ollie london who is another by the way Young man who identified not just as a woman, but as a Korean woman, even though he's a British boy. He recently shared as he's going through this entire detransition, praise God, he walked into a Catholic church and boom, that was the catalyst for him to reclaim his identity after years of cross-racial surgeries and then identifying as a woman. He had over 30 plastic reconstructive surgeries. And he made a comment that he was working on reprogramming his brain. And I remember it sat with me ever since he said that about a month or two ago here on Trending. We'll post the link to his story as well in the episode notes and on social media. But I think that is so true. I know it sounds a little bit like a computer or a robot, which we are neither of those. But we do need some reprogramming. Or should I say better yet, reorientation? To what is our proper sexual sexual orientation as male and female? What is proper as men and women? What is virtuous? What is honorable? What God designed for us, our human bodies, our complementarity as men and women? This is why 
I have chosen to walk through the Theology of the Body series as Pope St. John Paul II's words are so prophetic. So I hope you've been with us during the series as we're on, I believe, week 14 here in the series. And all of the episodes are online. We'll post the link to the first one uh, if you've not been with us on that series. All of them can be found under the podcast. Just subscribe to Trending with Timory. So let's talk about reorienting our minds when it comes to feminism. And if you're a recovering feminist, I would truly love, love to hear from you. And actually, before we go into some of this reprogramming, I have Rudy on the line from Orange County. Rudy, welcome to Trending. What's your story about recovering as a feminist or comment here? It's actually a comment because with the Walt Disney Company, they're pushing this type of agenda because the proper thing would be Ladies and gentlemen, please move to the left or move to the right. They wanted us to say, friends, can you please move to the right instead mm-hmm. of actually propering? And that's how it's changed. Interesting. Yeah. I used to go to Disneyland all the time as a kid, and it was always, ladies and gentlemen, it was always so polite. Please move to the right or to the left. Friends. Everyone's friend. No, not everyone's my friend, <laughs> necessarily. That is interesting. And I think that that's a little bit friendlier of a way, no pun intended, to use gender-neutral language with and maybe Disney is smart that they're using something so friendly rather than using something so obvious to avoid male and female. Let's look at Lucia. Lucia is in Manhattan Beach, California. Are you a recovering feminist? What's your story with feminism? Like it, love it. Should we claim the term? <laughs> so, um, well, I'm, I'm Italian and I moved to the United States in 2003 after I married an American. And uh, I was raised with... Um, the belief system that uh, uh, working and have a career is what makes you happy and accomplished as a woman. And and even when my mother would recommend me in the studio, Cinderella, Cinderella had a job and I went to college. And um, um, so, like, I was a lawyer in Italy. I came back to the United States. I went back to law school to become a lawyer here. And I worked in finance for almost 10 years. So I delayed motherhood because I put my career first. And then the, when I had my son, my son Enzo changed me. You know, I saw him in, in uh, I saw his eyes and I realized that uh, I was put on this world to be his mother and then nothing, nothing mm. could have been ever more important than that. And realized that uh, motherhood, you have this ability to cooperate in the God creation and uh, bringing to earth um, not only a person, but a person with an, an eternal soul. Mm. And uh, how can nothing, nothing can be mm. more important yes. than that. And then I, yeah. I, it's also a way that change your relationship with your husband because your husband is also the father of your son. And and, and you see things of your husband and you never seen it before. And, mm. um, the tenderness, uh, the uh, the protection, um, and and so like I really wanted to be an helper for him. So yeah, it was the motherhood that changed me. Wow, Lucia, I appreciate your testimony. Being an Italian immigrant, being a career woman, being told that your career will make you happy, and I'm fascinated to hear you share this because it's all over the West, from Italy to the United States, you name it. And actually, it's fascinating because I've studied a lot of what's happening in Italy and other places in in Europe and near Europe and. 
time and time again, women are sharing the same tune that they wish they had children. They wish they had more children. In fact, even there in Italy, different things are being done to create incentives for people to have children and have property. But your story is a story of every woman today. You got the career. You were told that having a career would make you happy. You became a lawyer, migrated to the United States to live out the American dream. You worked in finance, put your career first. And as you said, you delayed motherhood. You have one son. And when you looked into his eyes, your world changed. You realized you were put, I love those words. You, you were put in this world to be a mother. And I love where you share nothing else compares. It's an opportunity to cooperate in God's creation from to work with a person who has an eternal soul. And I love it transformed you, but you also mentioned it transformed your marriage. I love that you mentioned, Lucia, that the changes it made to your relationship with your husband to see the change in him as a protector and how beautiful to see his tender side develop further. And this is a joy I completely agree with in motherhood to see that protection of my husband and the tenderness of my husband. You know, people talk a lot today about toxic masculinity and there are toxic elements of how men try to be men. But a lot of men, I think women would love a whole lot more if we were allowing and encouraging men to be fathers because it brings out the best in men when we build up fatherhood and motherhood. So I really, Lucia, appreciate your testimony. And if you are struggling, if you are a recovering feminist, I am so curious to hear your story. And Lucia, I do have a final question for you. Would you consider yourself a feminist now or do you balk at the word? And if so, why or why not? Well, I think that uh, I am a, a real feminist because I treasure women. I just think that... Uh, we needed to reevaluate what it means to be a woman. And, and uh, like, uh, being um, a mother and, uh, and a spouse uh, is uh, being a feminist. And, you know, like, in fact, I, I feel bad for my mother's generation that uh, my mother did not work and felt bad about herself. She felt that uh, she was not doing enough. She was not enough. She mattered enough because uh, she was not working and... Um, so I think that uh, my generation is more empowered, like you, because we are recapturing the the meaning of being a mother. I think um, and being a mother means being a feminist. Um, you also model um, your children, your two boys, in what they expect in a marriage, what they expect in a relationship with a woman. And uh, so, like, I, I yes, I will define me a feminist. I think that uh, the women that define themselves feminists are doing a disservice to womanhood, to womanhood, mm. to other women. Mm. At the other they are the real enemy. We have the feminists. <laughs> I like that you say that. So you said the women who define themselves are, as feminists are doing a real disservice to women. And I actually do agree with that, which is why I used to always say, like, I'm a feminist. I'm a feminist. And it's interesting because I've actually had people say, oh, really? And they get excited and they start to hear what my beliefs are. And I've literally had these words fall out of people's mouths. I've never met a feminist like you before. This is very interesting. And I think it's because I call myself a feminist, but I can play ball with any topic they want to bring up, whether it's abortion, sexuality, equal pay. I don't agree with equal pay. That's another topic for another day. I remember one time I was at an event speaking in Silicon Valley to a few hundred young adults, and I said I don't believe in equal pay and got into like some of the like semantics of it and why equal pay isn't equal pay. <laughs> 
There was this one woman, bless her heart, she was crying because I said I didn't believe in equal pain. She was that offended because she was so married to what so-called feminism is. So, Lucia, you say women who define themselves as feminists are doing a real disservice to women. I agree. Yet you also say uh, you define yourself as a true feminist because you treasure women. This is what's hard about the semantics, the battle over do we call ourselves feminists or do we not? Because to be a feminist, like the proper definition of feminism is to be pro-woman, hands down. And you can't go get more pro-woman than the Catholics. And if you disagree with me, I would love to hear from you. I might not take your question today, but I will another day. So feel free to write me or call in. I'll look at taking your question as to how you think to be Catholic isn't to be pro-woman. But I want to come to ways we can reorient and reprogram our brains because most of us i would say all of us are in one way or another recovering feminists even if we did have an upbringing perhaps that was opposed to feminism there's still a lot of things that rub off from competitiveness with men to many other things that we'll touch on but let's touch on it first i think it's important that as women, we need to let go of this idea that we have to be for the gals and that women everywhere, we need to help promote women everywhere by focusing on our education and career above all else, as if our liberation as women, our liberation as individuals is dependent upon that. I think that's really key to let go of, like, do it for the gals. And I'm not one of those. I really don't get that. But I do know some people who think that they need to propel women forward by they themselves getting a higher and higher education and having a career. And I'm not saying don't have a career. And I'm also not saying don't be educated. What I am saying, though, is that when we put that first, as Lucia just shared with her own testimony, she was told that to have a career would make you happy. She delayed having children and she put her work forward first and praise God. She was not distracted by the world so much so that she missed the fact that the gaze into her son's eyes transformed her mindset like that. I think the second thing we need to work on in reorienting ourselves from feminist ideologies that have impacted all of us is ponder this. I'm not telling you to take a position one way or another, but ponder, do you call yourself a feminist? Can you call yourself a feminist? And can you have conversations with people to make sure they know what you mean? Because the problem is that people assume feminism, to be a feminist, is to be pro-abortion, pro-contraception, pro-LGBTQ, among other things. But also, people think to be a feminist means to be pro-woman. So if you call yourself an anti-feminist, people then sometimes think that you're opposed. So I think that Depending on the conversation, we need to be cautious with the language we use because we would never want someone to think that we're pro-abortion, pro-contraception, pro-no differences between men and women. I'd almost rather someone call me a sexist than a feminist now. I think that might be more complimentary and also might lead for a better conversation, actually. Uh, but I stand by when I used to stand really firmly on I'm a feminist and I'd have a lot of debates with people in the academic world over this, people who are championing feminism or pro-life feminism. And I think that there's a time and a place to say, no, I actually am truly a feminist because I believe this. I've seen firsthand, and this has always been, I think, a huge winner when having conversations with people who are feminists and pro-abortion, is I worked for six years, almost six years, in a pregnancy resource center. I saw firsthand every single wound a woman can have from sexual abuse, unplanned pregnancy, 
13-year-old being pregnant, the exploitation of women and the pain is so real and so raw. I've seen what feminism has done to women. I've seen how women are hurting. I've seen before transgenderism was mainstream, how it was impacting girls who are in unplanned pregnancies and how broken sexuality led to broken sexual orientation. And so when I used to always say, yeah, I'm a feminist, it was, it was hilarious to me when I'd say, hear people say, I've never met a feminist like you because they couldn't disagree with the awesome work that pregnancy resource centers do and the stories and testimonies of the women who come in and out of those doors with the greatest wounds, who we love right where they're at, even when they've had an abortion, even when they're considering an abortion, even when they choose life, even when they're coming back week after week, years after choosing life, because they need women to mentor them who are not radically pro-abortion. And so be careful in the semantics over whether or not you call yourself a feminist or not. I'm not hung up on one either way, but you need to make sure there's clarity that people actually know what you think. And, and I think that's key. And this is why we should have conversations. Maybe this could be a fun thing. I would love to hear from you if you do this. Choose one of your radical, very feminist friends who are pro-abortion and say, so you call yourself a feminist. Why are you a feminist? And then just continue to plow them with question after question. Don't say what you think, but legitimately ask them questions to learn more about what has shaped their position. And I will tell you this, more than likely, there's some personal story or experience that has led them to suddenly decide that they are a feminist and hold to such an extreme version of womanhood, and I say extreme because it's wrong, such an extreme version of womanhood that they think it's okay to kill babies. They think it's okay to damage women's bodies through killing babies. They think it's okay to go through with cross-sex hormones, puberty blockers for minors, to go through with bodily mutilation surgery. I could go on and on. They think it's okay to demand a certain salary even when they don't deserve that salary but hey i'm a woman so i should get this job or i should get this salary i'm making many people upset right now i can't wait for the emails this will be entertaining but i think these are honest conversations we have and again back to this my challenge for you is to talk to your radical feminist friend do nothing about but ask them questions to truly get to what they believe and behind it deep down inside there's usually something deeply personal emotional that needs healing that will break the camel's back to help them flip away from their radical feminist ideologies. Hands down, it always happens. Whether it's been a close friend I've had conversations with about this, or it's been an absolute stranger who I've been talking to doing some sort of pro-life apologetics or standing in front of the abortion clinic. So enjoy that social experiment, and I'd love to hear from you. You can send me an email, trending at relevantradio.com, or just head over to my social media at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. So with regard to reorienting ourselves and recovering from feminism, the third thing that we need to do is be able to answer, what is a woman? What would you say a woman is? What do you think a woman is? Do you have a baseline response? Here was a great start. A woman can biologically conceive, gestate, and lactate a baby, okay? I think that's a really great baseline. Does that mean that every woman should conceive, gestate, and lactate a baby? No, but every woman's body is oriented toward that. And even when there's that wound of infertility, or even when there's that wound of not being able to nurse a child, 
And I, I've had so many friends who struggled with nursing or struggled to conceive. And they're deep down inside, what is impacted? Their motherhood. I just spoke. If you have not been able to have children, I spoke with Emily Stimson Chapman here on Trending earlier in the week. She couldn't have children biologically either. And she shares her story. At one point, she says, there was a moment where I had to realize I was broken. I wasn't functioning the way God had created women to function. As God created me to, there was something going on that wasn't functioning. And I had to reconcile and understand and respect and and mourn that loss. And so at the end of the day, look at the deepest wounds in the culture surrounding children, not having children, and see that at the heart of it, it points to the identity of who we are as women. We also have to look to the material influence where we talk about the physical ability to conceive children to nourish children with nursing and understand the spiritual significance it is intriguing to me that language in many different languages from spanish to greek italian have endings and pretty much every word is gendered male or female and language such as boats ovens ocean all of these words that contain and house things have female word endings they're female words just interesting but when we talk about how the material more deeply points to the spiritual i love saint edith stein also known as saint Teresa benedict of the cross this is a line i will never forget i hope you ingrain it in your memory she says a woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold i hope you'll ponder that what does this mean to you a woman's soul is fashioned as a shelter in which other souls may unfold Motherhood is at the core of who we are. Even if we don't biologically have children, every woman practices spiritual motherhood in one form or another. St. Edith Stein says, Women naturally seek to embrace that which is living, personal, and whole. To cherish, guard, protect, nourish, and advance growth is a woman's natural maternal, maternal yearning. These are the words of St. Edith Stein, who lived during the time of World War II, a time in which What it means to be a woman was being radically attacked and transformed by an agenda that would lead to the so-called liberation of women through the rejection of exactly what she builds up, and that's motherhood. And so I challenge you, embrace your God-given body and identity. Let go of the competition with men. Let go of the comparison with women because it is not virtuous and it's not making us happy to compete with men and to compare ourselves to the ladies. And don't be afraid of the joyful elements that come with marriage, family, and having children. I'll be right back on Trending to talk about what is a jack-o'-lantern as we discover what Halloween is and how it's Catholic. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Do you know what the legend of the jack-o'-lantern is? I think this is a great opportunity to talk about why we shouldn't mess with Satan and the reality of heaven, hell, and purgatory. It's, I think, a distinctly Catholic moment. We're coming up on Halloween, so here's our opportunity to do all things Catholic with our Halloween celebrations because I'm posting a link in the episode notes. Halloween is Catholic. It is the changed version of what has been known historically as All Hallows' Eve. And from Protestant rejection of Halloween being too Catholic in the United States to everything from the fact that witchcraft celebrates its 
birthday of magic on Halloween, there's a lot to do away with. There's a lot to embrace and a lot to correct. But I never knew that jack-o'-lanterns were questionable. I recently talked to someone who said, I would never let my kid carve a jack-o'-lantern. And immediately to me, I thought, well, what's a jack? What is a jack-o'-lantern? What's a big deal? Isn't it just a carved face and a pumpkin? What's, what's such a big deal about that? So instead of just ignorantly going along with that, I started doing some research in Jack Lantern is basically a pumpkin with a face, but it hasn't always been a pumpkin. It's been everything from turnips for people in Ireland to other types of vegetables and more more specifically things you can carve in for people throughout Europe. So it actually comes with that to us from a Irish myth that spread with Irish immigrants who came to America, the land of the pumpkin, where pumpkins were used to carve the jack-o'-lanterns. And remember, Irish immigrants who came to the United States were Catholic, very Catholic, and actually greatly objected to uh, by the culture because they were Catholic and ostracized because of their Catholicism. So here's how the legend goes. And I actually really like this. It's a little creepy. It allows for a little bit of spook in terms of a story if you want to tell it to kids. But I want to share with you a story of the jack-o'-lantern. It's about a man named Stingy Jack. I was doing research and a great story of this came up at history.com. I'll link to it in the episode notes and on social media. The story goes as this on history.com. Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him. True to his name, Stingy Jack didn't want to pay for his drink. So he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin that Jack could use to buy their drinks. Once the devil did so, Jack decided to keep the money and put it into his pocket next to a silver cross, which prevented the devil from changing back into his original form. Jack eventually freed the devil under the condition that he would not bother Jack for one year and that should Jack die, he would not claim his soul. Jack eventually freed the devil under the condition that he would not bother Jack for one year and that Jack should die, he would not claim his soul. The next year, Jack again tricked the devil into climbing into a tree to pick a piece of fruit. While he was up in the tree, Jack carved a sign of the cross into the tree's bark so that the devil could not come down until the devil promised Jack not to bother him for ten more years. Soon after, Jack died. As the legend goes, God would not allow such an unsavory figure into heaven. The devil, upset by the trick Jack had played on him and keeping his word to not claim his soul, would not allow Jack into hell. He sent Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal of to light his way. Jack put the coal into a carved-out turnip and has been roaming the earth with it ever since. You see, the Irish began to refer to the ghostly figure as a Jack of the Lantern and then later simply Jack-o'-lantern. Now, this is a fascinating story. Again, I'm reading this from history.com because from Ireland to Scotland to the rest of the English, the immigrants brought this to the United States. In England, they used large beets to carve out their jack-o'-lanterns. In Ireland, they used turnips. Here in the United States, so we use our good old pumpkins that come in abundance from our soil. I think this is a fantastic story for teaching on Halloween for an activity surrounding pumpkins and key things such as don't mess with Satan. Now, while this is not theologically sound, it does bring a good key story to mind. Don't mess with Satan. 
And sometimes the best way to learn is to actually critique the things that we read and things we hear, including stories. But this is why you need to know your theology and teach it. The bottom line is there are only three places that you can go after death, heaven, hell, and purgatory. Again, great teaching moment. The legend reminds us that we should never, ever, ever mess with the devil, the demonic, or their ways. They're not our friends. These are key ideas that can be taught to kids. They can even be a little spooked out by a conversation about the devil. Now, this isn't even that spooky of a version of a conversation of a devil. It's about a no no to hell and a no to heaven, which we don't want a no to heaven, and we definitely don't want a yes to hell. This is a moment to teach kids about the reality of the devil. That the devil is more powerful than us, but God is more powerful than all, and especially God is more powerful than the devil. And so... We should choose, if you're carving pumpkins, this is a great opportunity in talking about heaven and hell, good and evil, God and the reality of the devil, at a time when people want to reject these such things. We should always talk as well about why we should choose God's way and not the way of the devil, who, by the way, as we teach in church teaching, it's the devil, as tradition says, that said, I will not serve to Satan. And the contrary is true of St. Michael, who said he would serve God. And this is why on All Hallows' Eve, we're ushering in the great feast day of All Saints' Day. That's Halloween, the eve of All Saints' Day. Historically, people dressed up as saints. This is why we should choose to stay away from the devil and the evil elements of Halloween, the witchcraft elements, and celebrate God, to be the ones to celebrate the people who said, I will serve God. Halloween is a celebration of the triumph of Christ and Christ specifically in his saints. And so sharing the stories of the saints, sharing the stories about how God triumphed over the devil is a great way to bring a twist to this tradition of carving pumpkins, now often called jack-o'-lanterns. So while you carve pumpkins and talk about jack-o'-lanterns, remember this legend brought to us by, specifically, Catholic Irish immigrants that tells a great story about not messing with Satan, the power of God, the importance of heaven, of God triumphing over the devil. What do you think? Do you think this is something you can incorporate? I think Halloween is a great season where we have a lot of fun, but let's incorporate more fun Catholic elements. It's something I'm thinking a lot about now as a newer mom with kids who are working their age toward being more aware. And if you want to learn more about Halloween, I did a whole episode diving into why do people have objections to Halloween? What are the parts about Halloween and witchcraft and Satanism that people are concerned about? But more better... How is Halloween Catholic and what can we do to make Halloween Catholic in a day that ushers us into All Saints Day, November 1st, celebrating the saints and Christ's triumph in his saints in the church?